Okay, we're gonna pray and then we're gonna jump in. Thank you, Lord, for this time. Thank you for the fact that we can gather together in this room and open up your word and know that there are answers to our questions. You're not a silent God in some uh, other universe out there, but you're near and you've even said that you wanna live in our hearts. So give us wisdom from heaven. Help us to see you clearly tonight. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen, amen. So first question for Alan and Jenna so that everyone gets to know you guys a little bit better. First, Alan, what was the moment that you knew that Jenna was the one? And then second, for Jenna, how did you get to the point where you said, you know what, I wanna marry Alan? What happened to the icebreaker questions? Oh, you want to do that one first? Yeah. All right. What are your thoughts on this TV show, The Bachelor? I have a lot of thoughts on The Bachelor. (laughs) And, you know, I was very well suited to MC, but apparently Alan doesn't think so. Well, here's the truth. Vinny and I both had a competition on who could get on The Bachelor first, and uh, neither of us were accepted. Yeah, it's a shame. I couldn't believe it. It didn't really make any sense. Yeah, we did. And Vinny Vinny was 17 at the time, so I I know that didn't count. (laughs) I'm just kidding. So my thoughts on The Bachelor are um, more serious thoughts. I I haven't really watched it, so I can't really... Have you watched it? You've watched it a little bit. I watched a little bit. (laughs) You've watched it a little bit. You haven't paid attention. I haven't paid attention at all. I would say if you are single, to be extra cautious as to why you're watching it, because it might portray an image that's not real, which is also weird too, because if you think about it, it's like we all know how the story ends, like it's a perfect thing, and then usually ends with them divorcing each other. And yet we still watch it, and we still like want what they have. So I would say, if you're, especially for single, to guard your heart and make sure that you're not believing things that aren't real. And if you're married, to just make sure that your spouse is okay with you watching the show, you know? What do you think? Yeah, what you said, but I also think that it just, uh, it just goes with more than just that show. There's a lot of shows that you should probably check your heart as to why you're watching them. Um, I'm not gonna say I haven't watched it, definitely watched it, but there's, a, <laughs> there's some, you know, once they get to a certain part in it, I'm like, eh, I'm not really interested in seeing that, thank you. So yeah, I think, we, I think you kind of handled that great. Yeah. Why do girls enjoy watching it more than guys? Speak for yourself. I'm <laughs> just kidding. Uh, I don't have an answer. I'm like, I've, I've seen it, but I'm more of like a Grey's Anatomy person, not gonna lie, so. Oh, yeah. That's probably not great either, but <laughs> that's what I prefer. I do watch that show. He loves that show. Anyway, next question. I've tainted Okay, him. next question. Alan, what was the moment you knew that Jenna was the one? Hmm. Uh, okay, so I kind of, touched on this in the teachings. And if you're new here, we've been talking about relationships for the past couple of weeks. So this is kind of the culmination of those teachings is your questions about those teachings. Um, so there were a number of times that I felt like, I just had feelings that it just connected, right? Like the way that we talked with each other, her personality, I felt like I could, I could talk to her forever. So we'd be at Denny's, you know, till like three in the morning, just talking. I was like 17 too. So that's, that's like, that's true. like way back. Yes, I was. Oh, you're talking, you're talking Denny's, about. Denny's, that was way back. You're talking about when we were in high school. Yeah. It was IHOP. Yeah. Not Denny's. No, I'm, oh, we I'm can't get about, those two. Oh, and you were not. Okay. I'm talking about 2013. I was thinking, okay. You're I was ta- thinking on 18. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> Sorry. She's, it's so she's fun to watch thinking them bigger. of different timelines. 
So okay. when there was a couple of times when we were dating probably like eight years ago that I felt like we connected on a different level. And it was something unique where I, even when it didn't seem like it was working out eight years ago, it felt like to me like no matter what, that is the quality I want in someone that I do marry. So that was, that was kind of the weird thing is I felt like I had the feeling that many people have of this is the one God showed me that I have to marry this person. And I think I told her that eight years ago. Like I told her, I was like, I'm going to marry you. And she got weirded out. But, and I ran. Just kidding. Um, <laughs> but uh, I think no matter what, there was, there was something about like the ability. Okay, so people have said this before, and you've probably heard this before. Whoever you marry should be your best friend. And there's that natural ability to click that you feel like, all right, no matter what, this is the kind of quality I do want in someone that I'm going to marry. And so, Jenna, how about for you? How did you know you were supposed to marry Alan? I don't know if I really knew when he knew. I She's mean, still trying to figure it out. We're working on that. Um, no, I don't think I really have like a distinct moment where I'm like, oh, this is it. But my track record's not so great. So um, as far as like during the timeline he's talking about, I mean, I was all for it. I just, my heart wasn't in a place where that would have lined up. And I don't think God could have blessed it um, because of where I was. But I mean, fast forward to kind of, um, I don't know how many years ago, he knows dates and times, I don't. Um, but I remember there was an instance and not like God was like, it's Alan Kahn. But I had journaled something. Um, I mean, I'm very sporadic with my devos. let me just be honest about that. So I would go through these seasons of like every single day for four months and then I would go through like a month and a half of like twice I would read. So it happened to be like a good, a good season. And I was journaling something and um, I was actually working at the hospital and I remember he texted me the next day and he texted me the passage I journaled about and I was like so afraid he wouldn't believe me that I took a picture of my journal. I'm like, look, I just wrote that, that's so crazy. So it was things like that where I felt like God kind of just confirmed it to me. But again, I have a, and that's why the running thing probably wasn't funny, sorry. But I have a history of running when things are really good. So there was probably a lot more things I didn't like see that God was saying like, this is it, Jenna. I do think that, and so the, the question was the first time that I felt like she was the one. Um, and there was numerous weird, crazy coincidences after that, which we don't have time to go into. But, you know, happy to share after, after this time. But I do think no matter what, God will always show you if the person is not the one, right? Like when God gives you clear warning signs that this person is dangerous or this person is not a good fit or really, like you got to listen to that voice of the Holy Spirit, so I think those are the warning signs that you got to pay attention to because oftentimes when the person is not the one, we know it deep down inside, but sometimes we've been in the relationship too long and it's like, well, we can't break up because who knows what life looks like if we broke up or you know, what will our friend, friend group look like? So there's too many consequences. So you just continue in a relationship that you know isn't right. Last quick question before we get into the meat and potatoes. How many more kids do you want? That's a good question. Do you want to answer first? You know, I'm happy. (laughs) (laughs) You said that right to Nova's face. You don't want to give her a little sibling. I feel like like God has just filled our home with so many children. (laughs) I couldn't even imagine what it would be like to have a blessing of another child in the house. 
Jenna, do you feel any differently than a that? little bit? Um, oh. So no, we have a God has super blessed us with really great and chaotic kids. I think I'd always like be down for another. I just don't know if it would be a biological child. I think that mm. the Lord has been very gracious to me to let me have so many pregnancies. But I think at this point, my body's like, please don't do it again. Uh, so <laughs> just being honest, like it's it was a rough uh, delivery this past time. So, but if anyone has like a child they want to give me, I'll gladly take it. <laughs> <laughs> well, I would. Moving on. <laughs> on. Continuing on, um, we're going to enter into um, one of the, a few subjects that we're going to be hitting on tonight. One of them is singleness. And so the first question um, with that one is, um, this person says, I've been praying that the Lord help me be content in this season of being single and I have, a really, I have really good days. And then other days I feel weird and so lonely and not wanted. How do I combat those days? It's hard to stay positive when people around you are happy and in committed relationships. Hmm. So uh, we both have very different experiences, obviously being single. You as a single mom for seven years, myself being single until I was 28, pretty much. So I'd never been in a serious relationship before, Jenna. So for me, my experience being single is, is gonna be a little bit different. So I'll share mine and then she wants to chime in too. My experience, sorry, what was the question again? It was, how do you combat those days of when you feel um, lonely and not wanted because of your singleness? Yes, okay. Uh, so you need to, you just need to remind yourself, right? The solution is not just find a person because you will be more miserable with the wrong person than you will being single without anybody, right? So you always want God's best for you. And then it's rem reminding yourself of Psalm 23, which is the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want, which means he leads you, he's guiding you, he feeds you, he protects you. So if you are in a situation where you are, you are single right now, to continue in that season, knowing that God is the one who's taking care of you. And like we were talking about in the series, that God will lead that person to you at the right time, at the right moment. Doesn't mean that you're not, actively seeking, actively praying, things like that. But the times that I was down, I reminded myself like, okay, I have to remember that God really is the one who's giving me everything that I need, just like every, every other need that we have, whether it's finances and you feel like you're not able to pay next month's rent and you're praying and you're praying doesn't mean you're not diligent seeking out jobs, but then you find every now and then that God suddenly like blesses you out of nowhere. I've had, we've had that situation happen. You know, it's been a struggle instantly having, uh, a larger family than just me being on myself, uh, being on my own. And so because of that, you find yourself in situations where you're like, I don't know if we're going to be able to buy this or buy that. And then there's a check that comes out of nowhere. Or, you know, you find out like, you know, the, the tax refund was exactly the amount that you needed for daycare or things like that. So just as God provides in those ways, he provides in the ways that are really important to you, which is a relationship. Once more for me, so I make sure I'm answering it in the way I want to. How do you deal with those days where you feel lonely and not wanted because of your singleness? Okay, I just want to make sure I heard it right. So um, I think the first thing you have to ask yourself is, um, what about being single makes you unwanted? I mean, I get like you're not with somebody, but you have to really examine where you're putting your worth. And that's something that I really struggled with. Um, I would... I would put my worth on whoever wanted me. Like, if you don't want me, I must not be worth it. But that wasn't true at all. Um, obviously, Jesus saw you as worth it when he went to the cross and never looked back. And he pursues you even when you're just, right, standing and or running the opposite way. So, um, but obviously then there's like the practical part of like, okay, well, I'm lonely. So um, being a single mom for seven years, 
was very lonely, even if, you know, a dad came in the picture a little bit and then left again, because in the end of it, it was never what God intended, and, and that was just a lonely season. But it was in those lonely seasons that I was able to, to figure out what I wanted, what I would accept, and God had to work out a lot of things and weed out a lot of things in my heart um, to prepare me not only to marry Alan, but to like raise my children and, and be prepared um, for my children to walk through hard things because of the decisions I made. So singleness is a blessing as well because, and like love being married, but immediately when we got married, I had to like ask, not his permission, but like I had to consider his feelings. I struggled with that in the beginning. Like I always just operated on my own, on my own, on my own. So that's a very enjoyable time if you take it because um, God knows who's for you. So you don't want it if he doesn't have it. Trust me. So this next question is kind of a combination of two and something you spoke about, um, I think, a few Thursdays ago. Um, can you talk about the distinction between singleness as a calling and as a decision? And if God's called you to not be married, would you still have that desire to be married? Yeah, so I don't think it's the case that everyone who has a desire to be married will be married. Um, in the same way that there are tragedies in this life. I, I do think it's God's intention and it's the normal expectation for humans that mankind would be wed. I think that's how God designed us and that we would have children through marriage and the family would be built that way. Um, but there are tragedies in the same way that you know, a person who's a child has a dream, one day wants to grow up and be a dentist, has that desire and then the life ends short. So I don't think that just because you have the desire that guarantees that that desire will be fulfilled in this life, I do think it will be fulfilled in the next no matter what. And that God is good no matter what. Um, but I do think that it's important to point out, statistically, if you have a desire to be married, you probably will be married. The majority of people will be married in this life. So not to compromise because you feel like you will never be married because maybe not everyone does get married who has that desire. But it goes back to the calling. So if you know you're called to something, that gives purpose and meaning behind the suffering. And you can call it suffering. If you have a desire for something and it's not met, you can call that suffering, right? You can call a season of singleness, but you're just feeling lonely as that is your season of being um, under some kind of uh, suffering. So, but, the, but if you know, like the Bible talks about that, um, I forget which book, but there's the verse where it says that not to be discouraged when you enter these trials, knowing that you're appointed to this, right? So when you know you're called to specific trials and sufferings, then it doesn't have to shake you because you know God is building something in you because of it. So I use the illustration like if I called Vinny at four in the morning and I said, hey, I need you to get dressed and meet me at this address right now. You have five minutes. He would, he'll hate me. Right, and he maybe he's like dragging I live really his feet. far from you. I don't know if I can get there in five minutes. It doesn't matter. Be here in five minutes, right? And uh, so suffering four in the morning. Why is he doing this? He's dragging his feet. He doesn't understand. He's like barely awake. He's like maybe I should take a shower first. So he takes a shower and then he shows up. So that's that's one way to approach it. But if I told him, hey Vinny, so and so from the church just got in a car accident. He's at this hospital. Meet me at this address that gives purpose to it, right? Suddenly, now he knows, this is why God has me to go through this. And I can say, not just for singleness, because I know what it's like to be single until you're almost 30 years old, but I can say as a person who struggled with anxiety, 
I know what it's like to go through those things so that I can help other people with those similar situations. And now looking back on it, I can say, I know why God had me go through that season of suffering, even though in the moment while I was going through it, I had no idea. I couldn't relate. And so sometimes God uses those seasons of suffering to build character inside of you that you can use to help others who don't have God and are going through those things. Like at least I was single as a believer and I had hope beyond the grave. But there are people that are single and lonely and don't have anybody and don't have God. And I can share in that suffering a little bit, relate with them, and then use that as a bridge for the gospel. Yeah. Um, we're going to be going on to potential relationships for this next few questions. So people asking questions about how do they know that the person that they should be with, the kind of questions just regarding that. So the first one is, what are ways to ensure that you are equally yoked with a potential partner? What are questions to ask, then to pay attention for, etc.? Yeah, so um, first of all, we have to redefine what equally yoked means. And we talked about, I think, last week. Equally yoked does not mean that you have a very strong Christian and a very weak Christian. It means you have a Christian and a non-Christian. That's what it means. I'm not saying that you sh like any Christian is, is fair game to date as long as they say that they're a Christian. But I am saying like to be very careful that you don't put such a high standard on somebody else and say like, well, this person's really like not as spiritual as I am. Right? And then you approach a relationship and you feel like, well, I read the Bible every single day and this person doesn't read the Bible every single day. I must be closer to God and they're not. You know, like then you start making standards that the Bible itself doesn't have. So be careful that, like, I'm not, once again, if a person's not showing any spiritual fruit, don't date them. Okay? But if a person seems to be a little bit behind in their walk or they're maybe a newer believer, don't take that as a license to start saying like, well, you know, this person just, I don't know if I would use, I, I could be in a relationship with a person who, who doesn't love the Bible as, as much as I do or, or things like that. So, because ultimately that's not the gospel. I don't know if you have anything to say on that. No, I agree with you. I think that you just, again, like you said, you use your discernment, you know, whether or not, um, you can kind of tell, like you said, by someone's fruit. So, uh, like you see them do this, you're like, mm, that doesn't really reflect like showing Jesus. So, I think you pretty much like wrapped it up. I'd just be redundant if I kept going. Yeah, I would say, and this might sound weird, but since the man is, is called to be the leader of the home, there is a higher standard for the guy than the girl. So in that case, if you are a woman and it seems like you're always constantly the one saying, come on, it's time to go to church. Come on and, and think about, like if it's difficult now, think about having kids with that person. And do you foresee yourself doing the same thing every Sunday? He's sleeping in. I don't, I'll just watch online. Like, all right, I'll take the kids and I'll bring them to church. Like, look down the road and see, is this kind of the, the course he's setting for our family where he's, he's never going to take the lead? It's always me. That's really good. That's really, really good. So think that through. Ask yourself that because that's really good. Can you partner with someone for the long haul if they love Jesus but have very different political views than you? <laughs> so, uh, that's all you. Yeah. <laughs> this is so, uh, the guy who did our premarital is the children's pastor here, family pastor here, uh, Brian Dumphy. And something he said to us, which is really powerful, is you can't marry someone who doesn't have the same convictions as you. Not somebody who has the same opinions. Like, we're always going to differ in opinions and, and, and things like that. 
but a conviction is a deeply felt belief in which you see the world through a certain lens, right? So we don't have different convictions. Like if our conviction is that we should be in the word of God, right? Whether or not we have days that we miss or maybe we didn't go to church that one week or whatever. If our conviction is it is important for us to be in the word of God, in prayer and for our kids to be, that's an important conviction. Now, if she doesn't share that conviction, how are we ever gonna raise kids together, have a family together, make decisions together? Because anytime that I'm saying, you know, I read this in the word of God, she's like, well, I don't really believe that's important. You know, so. Or if I said that. Vice, vice versa. <laughs> yeah. Just didn't want to be your example. There you go. So uh, when it comes to political beliefs, I think you have to ask yourself the question, how important is this belief to you? How important is this, you know, like if you just kind of dabble in politics, but you don't really care deep down inside, then yeah, maybe if they have different political beliefs, then it's fine. But if you're finding yourself that the, the main point of contention is always over these things that you, you know, see the world through two different ways, I'd be very careful. What are the telltale signs that you should not be in a relationship with someone and how do you get out of it? Um, I think the first thing I would point out is if you're asking yourself that question, you'd really want to consider why you're asking that question and what you're already seeing to put you in the position to ask that question. Right. So um, something for me that I've experienced is isolation is a huge thing, removing you from community, from um, people who share your same convictions, um, people who are going to maybe speak something into your life that might um, negatively affect your relationship with said partner. Um, that's what I would focus on. But at the same time, I think, um, I think if you're asking yourself that question, you're like 90% to your answer already. Right. That's good. Nothing to add to that. Sweet. Next question. If you're interested in potentially dating someone, is there really ever a good or bad time to ask them out? And if so, could you explain? If they just broke up with somebody else, you know, wait a couple days. <laughs> yeah. oh, oh. So here, here's wait. a further question then. When is, when are they, no? is there like a certain time where rebound mode is no longer a mode? Like when you get over rebound mode, is that dependent upon the person? Whatever you say right now sets a precedent for everybody. So All be right. careful how you enter. He's that. used to this pressure. Strange, stranger <laughs> things have happened, right? Like we, we know relationships where it's just like, they just like bounced. It's like boing, boing, you know? And then it worked out and they're happy and that's great, you know? But I would say, okay, that's, that's an easy one, right? Like if a person's, so this, here's like the serious part of it. And maybe I've said this already, but um, it is a terrible way to start a relationship when two people break up with other people and then they find each other and they find kind of like this camaraderie in the fact that they both were betrayed or had these terrible relationships. Like, yeah, if commiserating with each other. That's just a terrible way to start your relationship is you're both miserable. Uh, so don't do that. Um, another bad time, is it to ask out or is it just... What is it? Potentially dating someone. Um, when is a good time, yeah, to ask them out, yeah. A good time to ask them out. So I would say just don't get in your head because I think a lot of people put so much pressure on themselves that they have to have the setting perfect, right? But I think it's good to get in a habit of not really taking yourself too seriously. 
especially for the guy, right? Like don't wrap up all of your worth and your feelings and your emotions in what a person will say in response to you uh, asking them out on a date. You know, it's, it's harmless. It's not that big of a deal. So I would encourage guys to go for it. Shoot your shot. Why not? Stop dribbling. You miss all the shots you don't take, Michael Scott. Okay. Um, better known as Wayne. Was it Wayne, Wayne Gretzky? Yeah, okay, good. Um, now, getting a little bit away from uh, the boyfriend-girlfriend marriage relationships, this question is, how do you seek out and get connected with godly people in a time of COVID? Should I worry about my time slipping away and not meeting people at all? So this person feels very disconnected during this time. So how does that person get connected in a time of COVID to just godly communities? Uh, I read that question as them saying, like, how do you meet someone in COVID? Or that. Read, that, read the question again. Sure, here we like go. Like verbatim. How do you seek out slash get connected with godly men in a time of COVID? So I changed the word men to people. Um, but how do you get connected with godly men in a time of COVID? Should I worry about my time slipping away and not meeting people at all? So they it went says from, people at all? Yeah, so they went from, specific, they went from men to people. <laughs> I, I guess I'll answer both. Yeah. Okay, so if you're looking for a potential relationship, but you're kind of quarantined and you're stuck, and I mean, realistically, it's been a very hard year to start a relationship, right? Um, don't feel like time is slipping by and you know, you're, you're getting old and it's too late or something like that. Like There is always time. And the fact of the matter is, God makes everything beautiful in its time, Ecclesiastes, right? Chapter three. So if you think about it, God's not looking down at the world and going, oh no, COVID threw everything off. Everything set back a year. What are we gonna do? I hadn't planned to get married in 2020 and now it's gonna take an extra year. Uh, something Lloyd said that I really resonated with is oftentimes we want God to do things instantly, but his plan is so long. It takes so much time. I had a plan to be married by 25. I was like, 25 sounds like a great age to be married. And I didn't get married till I was 30. And you know what? I can look back and I say, I needed the time for God to mature me. I needed God to build things inside of me. And yes, I also needed a, sing, a, a season of singleness so I could be fully invested in other people and character development of other people, discipleship. So I can look back and say like, do I wish it happened sooner? A little bit, yes, but mostly I can say that God knew exactly what he was doing at the right time, and if I rushed it, I would have only messed it up. So don't be worried about like somehow you're missing out and you need to be active and you need to be hustling in order to be able to make your dreams come true kind of a thing. Uh, God knows what he's doing. If you seek him, you're gonna find that right person at the right time. And now if you're just talking about godly community, it's one of the reasons why I'm really happy that we're here and you guys are able to gather. And that's why I really pushed the, the gradient groups, because that's going to be a great way to be able to get to know other people's names and get to know other people deeply. And if you're not able to do that in person, at least one of our groups will be over Zoom. So you'll be able to do that. And uh, we actually have a person who's uh, in a different state right now doing a Zoom group with our gradient group, and she's connected really well. So that's what I'd encourage people to do. Take advantage of the local church. That's a community here for you. So the next few questions we're going to be going over are just hurts that people have experienced in relationships and how to just, these questions are just revolving how to recover from the pain that comes from breakups and being dealt a bad hand by other people. So the first one is, 
What are tips for healing from sexual brokenness? I know that I'm redeemed, but it's a constant fight with the enemy to not let that weight me down. Yeah, so when it comes to any type of brokenness, any type of shame over your sin, our only source of confidence has to be at the cross. Because if not, it's always going to be legalism and works-based righteousness and only cause you to be proud. Um, But the fact of the matter is, God is so perfect and so holy, so different from us, and that's the standard that he expected us to keep. And we're nowhere near close to that. So when we start thinking like, oh, somehow I'm going to clean up my life, make myself better, and then God's going to be really happy with me, you're forgetting, and you're actually demeaning the amount of work that God had to do in redeeming us. So what we have to do is remember that Jesus and his sacrifice on the cross is the only thing that can truly wash our sins away. So when you know that and you see the incredible sacrifice that that was and what he intends for you to do, the fact that he gives you a second chance, he gives you a new life, a fresh start. You know, this is not cancel culture. You're ruined for life. Like God looked at you and said, I'm going to give you a second chance, a new start, uh, a new creation. And we have the ability to walk in that. And when you know that, that's freeing. It's the most freeing thing in the world to know that Jesus truly does love me and he doesn't count any of my sins against me. So something that was said to me when I was, um, I think a senior in like impact was, um, I would always say like, I just want to get back to where I was. I just don't know how to get there. Like, I just feel like I... I did so well, and then I fell off, and I did so well, and I fell off. I just want to get back there. And I remember um, a woman named Michelle Lopez said to me, you don't have to get back to anywhere. You just need to sit there and let him do it. And I think that, I mean, I, I get where you're coming from, for sure. Satan's a liar. I mean, that's just the bottom line. And you have to... Um, really put yourself um, in community who are going to speak truth into your life because I very much still struggle with, um, with shame and all that stuff, right? So I know that I have a solid group of women that I can go to who are going to speak life into me, who are going to say, but that's not how I see you. Um, and you, like, we, we used to joke when I was in high school that I was like the dwell master 5,000 because I could say like, stay stuck on something for so long. And the Lord's just like, if you just move on from this, I have so much more for you. If you would just like tuck that away, you've been there, that's fine. It's obvious to everybody, but I want to use you now. So you have to take steps forward and trust that I've redeemed you. And it says like, let the redeemed of the Lord say so. He redeemed you and there's no changing that. No matter what Satan says, it doesn't matter. He's already lost. So just remind yourself that dude's a liar. And he has absolutely no, no say unless you let him have say. Don't give him the weight in your thoughts. In those moments, open your Bible. Have a verse, put it on your, um, say the Hebrews verse for me because I don't remember it. Hebrews 10, 14. For by one offering, he has forever perfected those who are being sanctified. Alan taught a message and um, I think that's the message I started talking to you again. Yeah. Okay. Um, and I remember hearing that verse and I was like in a very bad place when he, when he said that. And I never heard it before. And I grew up in church and I went to youth group and hearing that like he has forever perfected. Okay, so, so what am I bringing back up? He's forever perfected it. 
And so I literally took that verse and I wrote it on an index card and in my like rugged, broken down O2 Jeep Cherokee, put it right by my steering wheel and I just would read it because I needed to have it in front of me. Take an Expo marker, write it on your mirror, ladies. Dudes, have it on your keychain. I don't know what you grab a lot, whatever you grab a lot of, your hydro flask. Like put, put it on, well, I don't know what you carry, but put it on something to where it's in front of you so you know, okay, you're, you're recognizing what's true and that immediately combats the lie. Yeah, it's, you know, it's like, it's, like, um, it's like when you go on WebMD and you psych yourself out and you're like, I need to go to the hospital. You get to the hospital, they, they do all the tests, they're like, you're perfectly fine. They're like, I'm not fine. You need to find out what the problem is. And it's like, no, we're gonna discharge you because there's literally nothing wrong with you. That's kind of what it's like is you start dwelling on the sin and the thought becomes bigger and bigger and you're like, I have to do something. There's something wrong with me, right? And that guilt starts weighing you down. You have that pit in your stomach. But all you need to do is remember what God says about you, what the truth is, because the truth is the thing that sets you free. So continuing on the topic of trust, you guys are speaking on how, you know, our trust can be so easily found in the Lord for who he is. But now going to people, the question is, how do I overcome the fear to trust and become vulnerable after being cheated on? Uh, I would say first, I'm sorry that that happened. You know, that's, it's one of those things where you feel, I mean, people go through trauma in their life, right? So whether it's children who grow up in a, in a home where there's a divorce and then the parents tell you for the first time and that's a moment that you'll never forget. And then there's times in your relationships and then you find out that someone's cheating on you and whether it's through the text messages or somebody else says a rumor and then you don't believe them, you know, that, that trust is very, very difficult to rebuild. Um, but Ed Taylor, when he taught here a couple years ago, right after Bridgefest, he's a pastor in Colorado, and uh, he talked about there's a difference between forgiveness and reconciliation. And so sometimes people think that I forgive you, which is the call of every Christian, means that now I immediately trust you. But reconciliation is is where trust is rebuilt, but that takes time. And God doesn't call us to immediately reconcile with those who broke that trust. He's called us to forgive. And that's actually a tactic that abusers will use. It's you don't forgive me. You're a Christian, you need to forgive me, even though I've cheated on you five times or whatever. Um, but don't let them guilt trip you into that. Remember that it's, it's okay that it'll take time to rebuild that trust, but just make sure that you don't take that loss of trust and then suddenly put this defense mechanism and say, I can't trust anybody now. Because you have to. You'll go crazy if you don't trust somebody. And all trust requires you to be vulnerable. But when your ultimate hope and your ultimate trust is in Jesus, then you're free to trust other people. Because then, then you start believing things like, there's nothing that can be known about me that God hasn't already forgiven, that God hasn't already loved. So even if these things are brought out of the darkness and, and into the light, it doesn't matter. Right, so now there's this freeing feeling of, yes, I'm gonna trust you, but even if you break that trust again, I know that I'm gonna be okay. Does it say that the person's a Christian too? No. Okay, so let me jump on that train. Um, like Alan said, and that's something that Alan, oh man, he's walked me through a lot, but something specific, again, that stood out when he said that forgiveness doesn't mean reconciliation. Um, sometimes you just don't reconcile. Like at all. And you literally take that nice, like 
flag, right? A toxic relationship and you dip, you just leave. And that's what you, you need to because otherwise you're setting yourself up for probably a repeat of that and then a repeat of that and a repeat of that. And I mean, people are dumb. You don't deserve to be cheated on. So don't, don't waste your time. I mean, God, God redeems those wasted years, but you should run. Sometimes loving means... <laughs> Leaving. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, and that perfectly leads into the next question is what would you consider a toxic relationship and what's the best advice you could give to someone who feels like they don't have a way out of one? So there's, there's something that they talk about. Um, this is not Christianity. This is just um, sociology. The cycle of domestic abuse where there's this pattern where people start off being like, oh, I'm the nicest person in the world. And usually it's a guy, nicest guy in the world and I'll give you everything, whatever. And then it leads to patterns of abusive behavior. Maybe they start, uh, you know, saying different lies, but then projecting things on you and, and shouting you down and doing all these things that like kind of break you down. And then they'll do something terrible and you'll cash them on it and say like, what, what the heck is this? You can't do this. But then they put it back on you and just like, well, how dare you cash me in this lie? And who do you think you are looking at my cell phone to check my messages and, and things like that? And then that turns into them, you know, leaving and then coming back and saying, I'm so sorry. And then be nice again. And it's this whole cycle, right? So this is a real thing. And so toxic relationships are a real thing. And it's not just something you can read about in the Bible and just be like, oh, God just showed me that this is a toxic relationship. Um, just like any kind of mental illness, disease, or pattern of behavior that's, that's uh, evil, you can see those patterns happen in real life. And sometimes the best ways to discern that is a community of faith because toxic relationships will aim to destroy all other friendships except them. Because then you only see truth through their eyes and through their reality and what they want to speak to you. So then if they can eliminate all the other people around you that are your friends, now they can say whatever they want and there's no other backing voice around it to counteract it. So if you are in a relationship where they've cut off everybody else, that is the first sign that you need to watch out. And it might be even something simple, like, oh, I, don't, I don't like that person. I don't trust that person. Not saying that that always means a toxic relationship. So please don't hear what I'm not saying. But just look out. If you find like he's one off, like just knocking people out of your life and you can't talk to that person anymore. I don't like that person. Watch out because then you might be entering into a toxic relationship. Yeah, I think that um, exactly what Alan said. And then, I mean, maybe you're asking that question because you've been in one for years or whatever it is, but uh, I, I don't want to say this. I think that the longer you stay, you begin to like, I mean, it's like a brain, it's brainwash. So, and like Alan said, it's usually a guy, but it could be a girl too. So just like, it's, we, can have, we can do it too. But I think that, um, like Alan says, you, be, you begin to believe the lie the longer you stay and you keep looking for like an out. And you're like, if they do this, I'm done. And then they do that and you're like, mm, but I can get over it. And, and you continue that pattern and it will rob years of your life. Uh, it will rob friendships. And prayerfully, you'll have people who will come into your life who um, will, will speak that truth back into your life and help rewire that. And so um, I remember being said in previous relationship um, and, and trying to get out of it, right? Like, how am I, if, if this happens, I'm out. And then when I was really ready to be out, right, I was able, I, I left. 
but it took years. And I remember something that's come, it, like I brought it into our marriage in a sense is um, the person saying, you know, like you've had three, four kids. You've had four kids with two different dudes. Like who's ever going to want you? And I was like, dang, like you're right. No one's going to want me. And until Alan, I didn't think anybody would want me. Um, and then just got eyelash extensions today, so I can't cry because they'll come off. <laughs> and I'm dead serious about that. Um, whew. So, um, yeah, I, you don't need to look for an out. And I don't even know if that's the part of the question. I don't remember because I kind of don't want to ramble, but you don't need to look for an out. Um, you can just leave. You don't need to find a reason. You can just get up and break that cycle. You don't need, to, and even if you're like that, that good like honeymoon fun stage, just you are allowed to just leave. Because I have projected more than I'd care to admit onto Alan's like assumed motives that he like never had because of hmm. past trauma. And I'm like, this is why you're doing that. And he's like, no, <laughs> that didn't even cross my mind. And I'm like, yes it is. And like that, I mean, it's, it's taken time. First year was rough. Yeah, we got through it. <laughs> but it worked. Yeah, yeah, that's what I would say. And so continuing on that same thought, uh, the next question is, how do you deal with feeling like you're hard to love when you're in a relationship? Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, I'll, I'll uh, speak from my point of view here. Something we even talk about before we left here is uh, I think this was actually a question that actually, so maybe it'll pop up again. But there's that feeling like, who, who would ever want me? And I'm just like, me? obviously me, right? Like, I'm totally, totally game, totally down, anytime. Um, but this is something I was saying to her is, you know, I could not understand for the life of me how some of, some of the relationships that she's been in, other people, you know, that we know that we're friends with, could just be so terrible, right? And then you're, they're cheating and they're doing all these different things. Like, how could you do that? Like, what's wrong with you? And then, like, you look at the people that they're like going after instead, and you leave them behind. And it's just like, well, I don't understand. This makes literally no sense. Um, but I realized, like, this is so. You take it personally. Going back to the whole cheating thing, sometimes you take it personally. Like, what does this say about me? Right, if this person can leave me and go for somebody else, how terrible of a person must I be, or how much must they be annoyed by me, or whatever? But it has nothing to do with you. It has everything to do with them because what sin does is you can have the most beautiful person on the planet, right? And it's still not enough. That's what sin does. So if you've been in that relationship, you've been cheated on, you've been left behind, or whatever, that's what we need to remember. It's like it's not about you. That's not the reason. It's sin and it's destructive nature that ruins people's perspectives and causes them to be there. And that's the kind of thing that I've been trying to say to her and other people as well. Like we, we have friends that have been through similar situations and you start to feel like who could ever want me or who could ever love me? And the more that you start once again looking at what Jesus did and then he gave a church and then you start realizing like the church literally is supposed to be that community of love that goes, goes and loves the unlovable. And uh, so many people don't walk into church because they feel like they're not going to be accepted for their past or, you know, their, their perspectives or things like that. 
But if they can just enter in and they just feel that love, imagine how powerful that is for a person who literally feels like no one will love me. And then they have like dozens of people. They have all of you. They have 60, 70 people that just go out and show the love of Jesus. Imagine how that will completely transform a person's perspective. So I used to say um, back when we first started dating, because this is completely new to me, right? Like I'm, I'm dating somebody who has three children with two different fathers and as I'm going about this and we're just talking about, we need, we need to go on a date night, right? And it's like, well, we need a babysitter. And some of you girls have been such a blessing to us. Thank you. In being <laughs> our babysitters. But for her, it was just like, who's just gonna watch our kids? Like, we, like she was never able to have that help. And then as we're supplying her with the help and different things, and, you know, you guys were able to help us with moving, whatever. I sort of have the perspective, like, it shouldn't take that you have to marry a pastor to get this kind of help as a single mom, right? Mm-hmm. Like, it should just be the normal experience for single moms to walk into a church and they are just bombarded with the love of Christ. So that's kind of, that's my uh, little sermon for today. For those that feel like it's hard to love, it's our job, not just the guy who's going to marry the girl, the girl marrying the guy. It's our job as a church to communicate that love. Amen. Next question. Um, what do you do when your thoughts of your partner's sexual history try to creep up on you? Especially when you've witnessed their growth slash repentance and have in mind and and have in mind that the enemy wants you to remember their past. Yeah, so ultimately, if you are the type of person, how do I phrase this? When God calls you to a relationship, I truly believe that like God should give you the humility, number one, to recognize your own sin and your own sinfulness. And number two, he should give you the grace to cover somebody else's. So me approaching marriage, obviously, you know, like, I don't know if I can say this on podcast. I was a virgin when I was married, right? So going into this relationship, on the outside, her having three kids, never been married, on the outside, and, and you know, hopefully this isn't... I don't care. Say whatever. Okay. <laughs> but on the outside, you can have the perspective, and this is the thing that annoys her, annoys me all the time. It's like, oh, what a great guy Alan was, you know, like going in and just, you know, being a dad and stepping in and whatever. I'm going to step on my pedestal in that in a minute. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> For real. And the thing that, and, and that's kind of one of the lies that she was believing pre, pre-marriage, too, is like, oh, you're such a good guy and you're, you know, you're perfect, whatever. And then and she immediately found out, I am not perfect. It's the socks He's on not. the floor for me. It did not take very long <laughs> to find that out. So, uh, I mean, if that's the worst that I got, that's not too bad, actually, the socks. He cooks dinner like every night, so. Thank you. I'll give you props on that. Uh, Wait, Alan knows how to cook? If he no wants idea. to eat, he better cook, because I'm uh, a grazer. I eat like chips. So, <laughs> I have a chip. It's true. And I, I've, I've started snacking as well. Uh, so, my point is, like, I went into this relationship, and, and God had to humble me a couple times where I felt like I was at the pit. I was at my lowest of low. And that is the experience that I had of like, God, I'm at my worst and God loves me and God has a purpose for my life. And when you've been humbled in that kind of way, you don't look at everybody else and be like, oh, I'm so much better. And like, oh, I don't know if I can really get over this. Like, there's nothing to get over. We all have different types of sin. That's it. And if you can't look at somebody else with that perspective, then you should not marry that person. Amen. Let that person marry someone else who actually sees their worth rather than constantly being in a relationship where like, oh, I don't know if I can get over this. That's a little much for me. Like, just don't bother. 
Just go find someone else that you think else is perfect. You'll get married and you'll find out quickly that you're both not perfect and they will probably have a hard marriage. But no, that's probably really harsh. But, Wait, you know no, what I'm saying? Remember what, remember what we were talking about before? I want you to tell that story that I tell wrong that you tell right. About um, we're, in the, we're in the car and I was talking to you about like, how can you see me? Yeah, so, 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 I, yeah, so I asked him flat out, like, how can you, like, how can you accept me knowing like, I obviously wasn't a virgin when I got married. So like, how can you- I thought it was the Immaculate Conception. (laughs) Shut up. (laughs) Shut up. Um, Nobody else did. So uh, (laughs) yeah, say that answer. So uh, she, we were in the car and and she was, we were having this conversation that was really heavy and she was having that feeling of like buying the lie of the purity culture and like, you know, you have the rose and all the petals are gone and what do we do? You know, like- so you start to feel like you're tainted in some kind of a way. So it's how can you love me when I've, I have nothing to offer. I don't have that, that gift that everybody talks about in the purity things. It's like, you know, save yourself till marriage. You have this amazing gift you give to your wife or your husband. Which is important. And, and there's consequences if you don't that you'll bring into your marriage that might be difficult. So just to clarify that, not that you're saying it's not important. Yes. Uh, yeah. So obviously well, it's important. Have to clarify. But I, so what I've, I said and I have said in the past is, I don't save myself for marriage because I feel like that's the expectation I have of somebody else. Whatever they do is between them and God. But for me, it's a gift I offer, but I don't expect it in return. But what I dig in in turn to me is more valuable than the gift of offering someone virginity. And that is someone's story of redemptive love. The fact that she has this incredible story. Not a lot of people go through what she went through and come back to the Lord and then is able to reach people that I can't reach. So for, for that, that ability, like there's plenty of people I can marry that are just like, oh, I saved myself to marriage. That's great. But she has a story and ability to reach into people's hearts that not, few, not many people could. And that to me is more valuable than anything else. Mm-hmm. Like that's a pearl of great price. That's the thing that for me, I've been looking for and longing for because I feel like that makes us a power couple to be able to minister. So it's not about me coming in and I'm like awesome and she just stands by and applauds me and is like, you're awesome. But for both of us, I cheer her on because I see how God uses her in ways that I can never reach and uses us as a family in ways that we would be better together than we would be apart. And then I think just going back to kind of like you were saying, like it, it would always bother me and people be like, oh, like, and like this has been said, and I'm sorry if you've said this to me, and I probably reacted very nicely because I try to keep it internal, but people would always be like, you know, what a great guy that he would like take, like take those kids on. And I'm like, we're not a charity case. Like, like God doesn't love me any less because I had sex outside of marriage. Just that's number one. Do I bring consequences into it? Sure. Do we have a heck of a lot of trouble with some of the past people in our life? Yes. But then we also have not some trouble. So it it brings things into our marriage that make it difficult, but it's brought us closer together and it's allowed me to trust Alan in a way that I don't know if I've ever, well, I've just never trusted any man that way. Probably not even my own father because and now I'm probably gonna make him sound like the hero again and I'm trying to say how he's not the hero. But um, it's a very scary thing to have, you know, three beautiful children and again, single mom and and not know how you're going to, um, like again, the who's gonna want me, the this, the that. Walking into church, I gave him such a hard time. I'm like, I don't wanna go in there. Like everyone's gonna look at me weird and, he, again, spoke life into me and then I came in and everybody helped me and that was great. Um, but I think that, uh, hold on, lost my train of thought. Wait. 
children? Yes. Okay, sorry. I've had a lot of them. So, it's like they're married or that's something. That's a power, power of marriage. See, yeah. he just knew what I was thinking. But um, just somebody that would, that would go to bat for me. The way that he's gone to bat for me and the kids, even prior to us being married, has been mind-blowing. Um, and it, but it, like you said, it doesn't make him better or closer to Jesus than I do. It's just that's how God's choosing to use him within our marriage. And so a little bit circling back to like the who would ever want me thing, because I think that this kind of circles into that too. Um, like Alan, Alan wanted me, right? So if you're sitting here now and you're like, okay, but I've been there and that's great because you're married and it worked out for you. Uh, if, if someone can marry me with two baby dads, kids, a lot of difficulty that comes along those previous relationships, God can do anything. And that's the whole point of what God can redeem. So it's a little bit yeah. of my past. And uh, yeah, yeah. What? I'm not going to say what I was going to say. And so like, <laughs> like I would have never imagined that like, I won't say his name, but like one of the dads, like we've, I've, I've like befriended him a little bit. He, he like, uh, Gave me some venison oh, this past week that Nick Duffy and I cooked. <laughs> and I was like, you, when people ask me about the relationship, like, it is kind of strange, you know? Like, this is not the relationship that I ever thought I would have. But once again, God gives you the grace. And he should, because all of us are sinners and we're all saved by grace. So none of us should look at each other and be like, I don't know about this or I don't know about you. Um, so that's, that's kind of And it. at the end of the day, that relationship, no matter how weird at times it might feel, He's showing him Jesus because it doesn't really matter anything in the past. Both of them, both fathers need Jesus and we want to be used to show them that. I want my children's fathers to go to heaven. Yeah. So if, if Alan is going to step into that position as their stepfather, you would, you would want that to be the case to where they're communicating. And it's actually for me, it's really sweet to see because I'm like, see, everything all worked out. Yeah. Kind of. Yeah, last thing I'll say on this is, uh, and, you know, I have had a lot of people reach out to me, like random people I don't know, message me on Instagram saying, hey, I'm dating someone who has a kid and I want to ask you some questions. I'm like, oh, I guess I'm like the guy to ask now. <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> but like, there are situations in which you should not move forward. Like, there are clear warning signs and you have to be very careful that you don't have the savior complex. I'm going to step in and I'm going to be the hero and everyone's going to think that I'm awesome and things like that. Be very, very careful. Look at what's inside of your heart because there are red flags to look for. And there are some times that people are not ready, right? It worked out for us great. And, and God really worked in Jenna's heart and he worked in my heart. But there are people, individuals, guys and girls who are not ready. And so you should also be aware of that. I had a, a young guy who reached out to me about a relationship and told me some of the details. And I was just like, this is, I don't know, man. I just, I don't think this is a good idea. And they did wind up breaking up and, and it didn't work out. But uh, he came to me with this, like, we're the same guy, you know? Like, it's the same situation. It's like, it's not. You gotta be careful. Like, sometimes you look at someone else's story and it doesn't have to be our story, but you look at Instagram, you look at their story and you're like, whoa, it happened for them. And we see similar things happening with us, so it must happen for us as well. It's not always the case. And you gotta be careful that you're listening to the, the voice of the Holy Spirit, not what you want to believe. And that's how you end up stuck in that toxic relationship because you're like, no, 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 yeah. this is going to work. Yeah. Uh, real quick, how are you guys doing? I know we're, we're kind of going long here. We're not going to do any worship, but you guys okay? 
No one's falling asleep? Okay. You, you want us to do a couple more? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I was going to say, we're going to do... I was going to say no. Like, who's going to say no? Well, <laughs> but they, nah. would, they would just not say anything. Okay, fair. That's because, <laughs> okay. like, you want us to go keep going? And it's like, dead silent. Like, okay, never mind. All right. I was going to say, we're going to go into a lightning round so we can get through a few more of these before we end the night. No, we, we just choose a couple of good ones. I don't want to okay. rush through them. Okay, um, next question. How should, you, how should we handle opposite sex relationships, so friendships, when you're dating slash engaged slash married? Yeah. So I'll start, and you want to add, yeah. too. Uh, so for me, I'll just tell you the thing, conversation I was having with her recently, and I hope this doesn't make anybody kind of feel weird. I feel like, <laughs> like all the relationships I had regarding the opposite sex before we got married, I feel like there's that existing friendship there, and not to be casual and, and not to be concerned and, and not put safeguards but there's, there's like, we have a relationship and she has a relationship with those girls and she knows who those girls are. But if I'm meeting a new girl, especially a new girl that she doesn't know, then I want to be very cautious and, and, and careful and make sure that she's comfortable with it. You know, as a pastor, I'm going to be meeting new people all the time and I'm going to be ministering to guys and girls. But especially the relationships where she doesn't have any prior relationship, I never want her to feel like, she doesn't know who this person is and we have this relationship and friendship and, and she's not a part of that or doesn't understand that. So that's kind of the things that I would say. And if you're a person that's like obviously not in ministry, it always, you always want to go the extra mile when it comes to the comfortability of the person that you are marrying. So it shouldn't be like the bare minimum of just like, hey, I'm going to do this. Are you okay with it? It's always think about how can I make sure that she feels like the most loved woman or he feels like the most loved man in my life. And not just kind of like wondering if it's a borderline thing. That's it. Cool. Uh, do you have any advice for couples who are currently in a season where they just want to be married, but they have to wait due to financial issues? You will always have financial issues. It's just. It's twenty eight dollars in New Jersey. Twenty eight dollars. Marriage what? certificates twenty eight dollars. Well, hey, I'm a pastor. Let's do this. We got a crowd. Who is it? Who's questioned? Just kidding. <laughs> just kidding. Yeah. Stop looking around. No, Nova will be, you know, walk down the aisle with them. Flower girl. She's wearing a dress. There you go. <laughs> We're ready. Uh, yeah, yeah, so this is kind of funny, but it's kind of true. Andy Dean, who's the pastor before me, he was talking to a young adult guy and he was saying like, yeah, you know, I want to get married, but same thing, just don't know about the finances. And he looked at him and he kind of straight up said, all right, you're never going to have money. So why don't you just like, you could be happy and married or, hap or you can be happy and poor or unhappy and poor. So you just choose which <laughs> scenario you want. And he wound up getting married and they're doing great. So, <laughs> so I, would, I would say like, make sure that you don't make financial security your God. That's the biggest thing. Uh, I'm not saying don't be wise, don't wait till the time's right, save up some money, but life is unpredictable. Think about the parable where, where Jesus talked about the man who hoarded all the treasures for himself. He's like, yes, I finally have enough money. And then God says, well, you're gonna die tonight, so what good is that, right? Like, we don't know the day or the hour. So we want to be making sure that first and foremost, we're listening to the Holy Spirit, not our fears about our financial status. And if you need a wedding planner, Alan's perfectly free to do it. He planned I'm our ready. whole wedding and he's really good at it. I'm ready. And I need the money. Just no, no, kidding. they don't have money. Oh, right. It's right. free. <laughs> right. Whatever. <laughs> Just kidding. Okay. 
What are some ways you make sure that your relationship is rooted in Jesus? Right now we pray together and we read together. Is there anything else that we can be doing? Uh, I think you're covered. You're great. That's it. The end. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, I just ultimately don't put so much pressure on yourself for spiritual growth in your relationship as a couple. It's going to be a journey and it's going to take some time. Like even for us, it's like, how do we have time to work on our own spiritual development as a couple in addition to like the spiritual development of our children and I'm doing ministries and she's, you know, staying at home homeschooling and doing different things. So it's just like, when, how do we do that? You know, we can't even leave the house without Tatum just every five seconds. Like, you know, like I talked about, like, I need something. I want a snack. I want ice cream, whatever. So chocolate milk. Um, so yes. <laughs> pink handle, pink cup with handles and shake it. <laughs> silly yes. face, silly word. <laughs> so uh, I would say start off small. Don't put so much pressure and have these grand ideas of how you're going to have the most perfect, you know, development of your spirituality. Start with small things. So like one thing that we were doing is, okay, before we watch a show every night, which is typical, uh, we're going to read one segment out of this Tim Keller uh, Meaning of Marriage devotional. So we just do that, talk about it. It takes five minutes, but it's something. And that's a start and it's something we can build on. So that's what I would say is like, give yourself time because you have the rest of your lives to figure that out. And as you communicate with each other, you'll find other ways that you wouldn't expect for God to bring that growth. So you'll like, they'll say something you're like, oh, and then you'll find new ways to love on them or new ways to pray for them. And it'll always kind of ebb and flow and change. Okay, can you both share what God's word says about attractiveness and whether it matters, uh, and whether it matters how we dress in a dating relationship? Yeah, so when it comes down to modesty, I would say as a guy, I think a lot of modesty stuff is taught absolutely terrible. It's wrong. Because <laughs> you give a speech about just like, if you're wearing this, if you're wearing this, if you're wearing this, you are stumbling the men in this room. And they're thinking all kinds of sexual thoughts. And you're like, oh gosh. <laughs> and then like instantly the person wearing, like the one person you're talking about who's wearing that stuff is just like, I'm never coming back here ever again, right? So the point of being modest is not to not stumble guys. It's to glorify God. That's the first and foremost thing. That's what you see in First Peter. It says, to women, uh, for women not to adorn themselves with gold and jewelry and all this apparel, but with the inward beauty of how the women of old in the Old Testament used to do it, which is to follow the Lord, to be godly. So that's, that's the focus. And by being godly, you're not doing it just so you attract a mate. You're doing that because you want to honor God. So always check your heart. Is like, why am I wearing this? Am I doing this just to attract attention? And listen, it doesn't have to be the way that you dress. It could be what you post, Right putting stuff on TikTok or Instagram. Why are you posting this? And this is a question for guys and girls, right? So many times, especially as a single person, you want to do this so that it attracts a person that you're interested in. And that's not necessarily wrong, but that can't be the thing that dominates us, that we're crushed if our newsfeed doesn't look a certain way or we don't get the attention of the person you're looking at, who looked at your stories and that person didn't look, so you got to post it again or something. So we, we've all been there. We've all been that, that person. But ultimately, that's what I say with modesty. Like, obviously, dress appropriately because there are people with struggles. But ultimately, your goal is to glorify God, not to not stumble people. And I feel like us as like ladies, like we know, like you know, if you're wearing something, you're like, eh, maybe I shouldn't wear this. 
Like, I just feel like, like if you're, if you're kind of questioning your outfit, what are you questioning about it? What can you do to not question that part of your outfit? And then just move on. Oh, I would say this is important. There is a higher standard for leadership. True. Higher standard. In the same way that like, I don't, I don't even know what I would wear, but like. No guess, deep line V-necks, Alan. Yes. Like no, you used to love to wear. Don't want to so stumble much. them. Some people do, it, you know? And, and so like as a leader, there's a consciousness to the way that you dress and the things that you buy and the things that you drive and all that stuff will be evaluated by people and it's going to convey a message like what I wear is conveying a message to you. What you wear is conveying a message to me. And that's, it's culture. It's the way that we express ourselves. But what is the message that you're giving? Is that message, you know, glorifying the Lord? Or is it just bringing attention to yourself? So for leaders, especially worship teams, whatever, that's where you got to be extra careful. And you should go the extra mile in making sure that you're directing glory to God. All right, well, last question. Um, I was dating this amazingly godly man, but my parents made me end, end it just because of his ethnicity. As a Christian, I know we're supposed to obey our parents, but that was ridiculous and extremely unfair of them. What should I have done? Yeah, so that's a bizarre question. Um, if, if your parents made you break up someone because of their ethnicity, uh, I'm really hoping that it's not like embedded racism and what you're talking about. I'm giving it super benefit of the doubt. It's, it's like cultural, because I can understand that. Like some cultures... Like Asian cultures can say, will say like you can only marry an Asian person, or you can because that's part of their tradition and that's the way that they were raised and their parents are raised. Not because they don't like non-Asians, but because uh, they don't even know how to associate with someone who's not Asian and, and whatever. So that I get that. Um, but what I would say ultimately, as a person who's you know multi-ethnic, my dad being Jewish, my mom's being Japanese, and both of their parents fought in World War II on opposite sides. So, and one of them was a prisoner of war. So I would say, ultimately, this is why the Bible says, a man shall leave his father and mother and cleave to his wife. Mm. You can't let your parents dominate the decision that you make in marrying somebody else. Take their advice, listen to it. But this, this, this extends beyond the whole ethnicity thing. Some people are so wrapped up into like what their mom or what their dad thinks about their spouse that they feel like they have to get permission or if they, they don't like them, that somehow, some way they have to say like, well, I can't marry you because my parents don't like you. Like, I understand that should be a factor. But like when I asked her dad if I could have the hand in marriage, I wasn't asking for permission. I was asking for the blessing. And regardless of what he said, it was like a formality and I was gonna ask her anyway. And of course he was fine with it. Um, but he was I, like, thank God, someone's going to marry her. <laughs> <laughs> I, For real. <laughs> I was also strategic because I was like, I know that he might say something. So I literally okay. took him out to breakfast and I was like, you know, sometime in the future, you know, I'm planning on proposing, you know, and, and the very next day I proposed. So <laughs> they give him any time. Um, and he's like, oh, that was kind of quick there. I'm like, yeah, I just didn't want you telling people. So anyway. That's it. That, that's the last question. The end. We do have like one more we can go over. All right. Do the very last one. Okay. Give us the best hits. What? The best hits. Like, I don't know. What's the best question? Okay. That's the last one. Oh, there's, uh, okay. I'm going to have to choose between two of them. You're putting me on the spot here, Alan. And someone's going to hate for me. training pastoral ministry. Someone's going to hate me because I didn't choose their question. Well, if you ask it fast enough, maybe we can do two, but you just got to ask a question. What was your biggest fear is entering into a relationship centered around Christ? <laughs> that was good did you hear me what was your biggest fears entering into relationships centered around Christ yeah. yeah I talk quickly as well you can go first uh 
biggest fear? Oh, now, I'm, now you gotta think. Can I don't have to think. Okay, <laughs> this is very worldly of me. I was convinced I, it would be boring. I'm like, oh, like there was one instance where we were like married for maybe two months and like, I think I heard Alan like raise his voice and he was like, I'm really sorry that I raised my voice. I was like, oh no, that was like, I love that. Like it was like, that was my normalcy. So I was like, it's okay, I'm not mad at all. So I think that, I mean, maybe that's like a shallow it answer. It is not but boring. I can assure it, you it's, no, it's not, not boring. <laughs> it's very eventful, night and day, just the kids and the screaming and yeah. Too tight, too tight. Yeah. <laughs> Literally can't put shoes or socks on Tatum without her just flipping out. Just like, so don't judge us when it's winter and she has like literally sandals on. It's not worth the battle. Yeah. And Tatum, if this is 20 years in the future listening to this, we love you. We're so glad that you turned out great and you were wearing socks today. <laughs> okay. Okay, last question. If a couple goes to different churches, should we come to an agreement to serve and attend at one church or serve at both? Oof. That is a good question. Yes. One of you will have to compromise. You can't go to two churches. You can't serve at two churches, mostly because you can't be accountable to two churches. Choose and pick as a family where you're going to serve. And once again, looking down the road, it's, it's easy to dismiss this when you don't have kids, but when you have kids, you're, you're forced to. Where are you going to bring your kids to church? You can't just keep the standard of like, I go to this church, you go to this church, and we're married, and now we have kids, and we're going to go to this church on this Sunday and, and switch. You need to have one community of faith, one local community that you're embedded in. Pastors know you, ministry leaders know you, you're seen, you're visible, you're accountable. Otherwise, and we've had this happen so many times, different young, young adult groups, people just hop churches or whatever. And it's like hot potato. And you're talking to different pastors like, hey, did so-and-so talk to you about this issue? Yeah, but they said that you were holding them accountable. I thought you were holding them accountable. Like, I don't have no idea. Like, well, maybe you should talk to them. Maybe you should talk to them. The whole thing's just a mess. So, you will have to pick. So as to which church to pick, that could be a really hard decision. And that is more of a question that you should approach mentors because I don't think I could just generalize and say there's a general rule for this one. So but um, so going back into that question, yes, um, the couple just started dating and they're both a part of two really good churches. You know, oh, what about they that? started dating. Oops, I answered the wrong question. No, Sorry. no, I mean, you answered, you answered the question of a newly married couple, but what about a couple that just started to date and they met from different churches. I, I don't think there's anything wrong with that. Stay in your different churches. It might be safer for you <laughs> that you don't have all the, the eyes on you. Just, oh, who's that person? And so then do you feel as if they should come together when they're engaged to start attending one church? Is it like towards when they know they're going to get engaged? Or like, is it only when they're married that they would come together? Yeah, I, I think ideally while you're, you're dating for, for a little bit, there's no timeline necessarily. That's why you want to have mentors in your life. Engagement, definitely by, by your engagement, you got to pick a church. Um, but if you're just started dating, I don't, I don't think you have to change anything about the way that you live uh, just yet. You will eventually, but just not yet. Great questions. I hope you guys were blessed by that. Um, and I know there's, there's so many more we didn't get to tonight, so... You hear that? So there's so many more we didn't get to tonight, but hopefully we'll have another time like this in the future. Um, but until then, I would encourage you, even if your question was anonymous, if you felt like your question was really important to you, not to just let it sit, but uh, approach a leader. Talk to one of us. We'd love to help you through those situations and pray through those situations. So you guys have been great. You've been sitting this whole time. And I know it's a long time to sit down. So 
But then again, you're used to like Zoom classes and like three-hour classes, which, oh, thank God, I'm done with those. Hated those. Uh, so I'm going to pray. And then at the conclusion of our prayer, we're going to have to move to the sanctuary because that's where we're going to remain in fellowship. So let's pray.